You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on global business so you can invest better across the Pacific Rim. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. China has emerged as the world's global automotive powerhouse, spearheading the push for clean energy vehicles and rewriting the rules of the road. Its homegrown brands have earned global appeal, shaking up markets with a sprawling electric vehicle fleet that's revolutionizing the way the world drives. Its growth has been breathtaking, but speed bumps lie ahead. Where will China's automotive path to progress lead next? What are the risks and how will it reshape the world's driving experience? There are still a lot of questions that needs to be answered for battery EVs. Are we going to have enough lithium to go around to make batteries? Are we going to have enough graphite? And then what do you do with all these batteries? I mean, it's potentially an environmental nightmare. Let's bring in Steve Mann, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Automotive Analyst. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, John. Nice to be here. Welcome, Steve. Charlie Munger, associate of Warren Buffett, said earlier this year, BYD is so much ahead of Tesla in China, it's almost ridiculous. Do you agree with Charlie? I do. I mean, BYD has a homegrown advantage in China. Oh, Tesla. Well, Tesla, you can't discount them. You know, Elon Musk has done a very good job in building relationships in China, setting up a gigafactory and distribution network uh, here in China. And look, he's a, a loved character right? Loved personality in China. You know, people love to read about him, uh, read about his book, his biography. So there is a cachet of actually owning a Tesla. But uh, BYD has done a really great job in building their own supply chain. They're very much vertically integrated. They have a cost advantage. And, you know, over the past decade and a half, all the cars that they have built, you know, the Chinese customers have gotten used to it. Quality has improved significantly. So BYD and, and other local brands that are giving Tesla a run for their money. BYD was a very little known name. It's still known very little outside of China. But inside China, it's a household brand. How did it grow so quickly? What explains that? Well, I don't know if you know, uh, BYD actually stands for Built Your Dreams. So they've actually I done... I know that. <laughs> yeah, they actually done a, a great job building their own dream and a lot of dreams of their customers. So BYD, you know, they've actually came up with their own battery packaging methodology that's actually uh, other companies are, are envious of. Other companies are adopting it. It's much safer. It's faster charging. It's also highly reliable and safe. So, you know, they've, they've done a really good job and, and they've been done a really good job marketing that battery to the greater population. And like I said earlier, the brand is, has been around a long time and people trust them. And BYD is the only Chinese automaker that is also its own battery maker. Absolutely. So what the Chinese automakers like BYD has done, has done really well. And over the decades, the auto industry has, you know, moved away from vertical integration, right? They kept outsourcing parts to make it cost effective to build cars. But in China, it's a different story. It's a new technology. You know, electrification is a new trend. And vertical integration in China, especially for battery, really makes sense. The capital cost is much lower in China than other parts of the world. Material cost is also significantly lower. So it makes a lot of sense for them to integrate 
protect that technical know-how, continue to improve on it. And then uh, they have done a really good job in securing that material, which is critical. Battery is a critical component of an EV. And uh, by vertically integrating, securing their sources of material, securing the sources of battery. And that's why they've become the biggest, not only in China, but globally, they've become the biggest uh, EV maker in the world now. And to John's earlier question, it's easy to see why Warren Buffett saw an opportunity and took a stake in it. Yeah, credit to him. Because BYD, you know, we, we hear a lot about BYD, about the passenger cars that they built. But I don't think a lot of people know that they also sell a lot of electric buses to the cities, to various you know, metropolitans around the world. And I think Buffett actually saw that, and that's why he invested in a company. Yeah, it so happened over the years, BYD has become a household name in passenger vehicles as well. Steve, we had Kathy Wood on a Bloomberg Intelligence webinar earlier this year, and she, yeah. really, she really lauded Tesla for its autonomous driving expertise. How does the Chinese makers, BYD, maybe Neo, how do they rank in autonomous driving? Personally, I, I think autonomous driving is years away, years away. It, it really needs a very well-developed AI system machine learning system to make it work. And especially in China, if you haven't driven in on the roads in China, it's it's a little bit chaotic sometimes, right? There's, there's a saying, in China, people drive like they walk. And so I think it's years and years away. And, you know, Tesla has done a good job. And, you know, Tesla is putting the system out there and, and gathering information, data to continuously improve that system. And, and that's the right approach as well. In China, they're doing the same thing. You know, there's certain cities, certain areas across the country that's designated for autonomous vehicle testing. Not only BYD is doing that, you have companies like Baidu, Tencent. Mm -hmm. uh, they're also doing the same thing. And is China going to be a forefront in autonomous driving? Time will tell. Time will tell. And definitely their industrial target is really to be the leader, not just on electrification, but on autonomous driving. Because if you look at the history of the automobile industry across the world, you know, you had the Japanese in the 80s that came in, can deliver fuel efficient reliable cars. Um, they've also, you know, Toyota also invented the Toyota production system, which allowed them to produce these cars really cheap, right? And then you have the Koreans coming in, the 2000, and they're, you know, one of the top selling automakers in the U.S. now. So like China's industrial desire, mm. right? Where are they going to stand in the automotive industry? I think what they're targeting on is we're going to be the best at electrifying the vehicle. And, and it looks like they've done that. They've done that. And I think the next step for them is how to automate those vehicles, how to make them become the next Internet of Things for the consumer. So, Steve, if we look five years down the track, do you think the traditional automakers like Toyota, mm -hmm. General Motors, Volkswagen, maybe Hyundai Motor could regain their lead and transfer their lead into the EV race? Or do you believe... Uh, the situation has changed forever in terms of the market share. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Tom had a question earlier about batteries. Battery is a critical component of the vehicle. It's the most expensive component of the vehicle. And I say China actually has a huge lead 
in battery technology and battery production, they can do it really cheap. I mean, we knew they can do things, they can build things, they can manufacturing things very cheap. You know, capital cost is cheap, material cost is cheap. And I think China has a lead. You know, I talked about the, the blade battery that BYD has, which is revolutionary. Uh, CATL has popularized the LFP battery, the lithium phosphate battery. If you look at the U.S., they're just starting to get into those batteries. You know, uh, Ford is partnering with CATL for that technology. I think LG Energy Solution, I think they're still a few years away from that. Same thing with SK Innovation. And China is also delving into other battery technology, like sodium battery, which, you know, it's probably the next thing. It's going to make the batteries even cheaper and make EVs more attractive to the consumer. So China is taking that leap forward while companies and countries elsewhere are still trying to catch up. Our guest is Steve Mann, Senior Automotive Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Steve, getting back to the EV battery battle, if you will, there are some big names, CATL, BYD, LG Energy. How do you see it playing out? Who is going to come on top? Is there going to be a single winner? And how might that shape the future of the EV industry? Well, um, CATL it has become a household name, I would say, mm. in the auto industry. They have built significant number of relationships pretty much with every automaker in the world, even startups. They have uh, the biggest market share. They have the biggest market share in the world. We are actually having a VHS versus a Betamax moment at the moment. Okay, and what right is CATL? Now, <laughs> you know, CATL, you know, with the LFP battery, they're working with so many automakers today that the LFP battery is becoming a standard, mm. right? Just like, you know, Betamax, <laughs> you know, this is a long time ago, Betamax video cassettes, it's actually a better technology than VHS yep. because it's, it's more compact. Uh, but because VHS was so popular and the company that I think it was RCA that developed VHS, they were so clever in getting that VHS product out in the market where everybody adopted it, it became the norm. But that's what's happening with the LFP batteries from CATL. Do you think those batteries could power more than cars in the future? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you look at the life cycle of a uh, battery for an electric vehicle. Um, once that battery degrades and it's, it's no longer uh, viable, uh, usable in a vehicle, it actually can be used for energy storage. And speaking of battery storage, driving range has always been one of the bugaboos among people who are interested in getting electric vehicles, but they're concerned about, quote, running out of power in the middle of nowhere. Which country's automaker or battery maker has the edge on range now, or have we already moved beyond that? Oh, I think it's being played out at the moment. I think in the last couple of years, we've seen more and more vehicles uh, with longer range batteries available in the marketplace. I, we see costs coming down, you know, making them more affordable. In, in what type of environment are EVs most useful? You know, what are the customer needs? How are they using those, those vehicles? I think in, the sh in a city, you know, I'm in Hong Kong, in a city like Hong Kong, I think it works really well. 
geographically, Hong Kong is not a big city. Everything is very compact. Everything is very compact. You know, to answer your question, Tom, it is we are there already. I think cost needs to come down. The infrastructure needs to be expanded to make it more convenient for consumer. And governments are spending a lot of money on that. Steve, looks like China is starting to really dominate the EV industry. BYD is one of the biggest. They dominate the batteries as well. But some of the other countries and other companies are not lying down. How would you rate some of the other major automakers' transition into EVs? Um, now you mentioned China. Def- definitely, they're at that top of the list. Over the last ten years, there's been a lot of government support to drive demand and supply. I think China will continue to do that. From their perspective, industrial goals that they have, um, you know, they want to continue to maintain that lead uh, in the automotive space. Second, I, I would say Europe. I think a lot of consumers there are, are transitioning into EVs. They see the benefits. Additionally, you know, in Europe, the, the climate regulation also supports a lot of the demand over there. And I would rank the U.S. the third right now. Like if you look at the numbers, right, U.S. versus China, uh, last year there was about 22% of total passenger vehicles sold that were EVs, battery EVs, versus single digits in the U.S. So can U.S. catch up? Yeah, I think definitely. I think what they need to do, and they're doing it right now, is to expand their supply chain. I think their supply chain doesn't support mm-hmm. that growth that China is seeing, but uh, President Biden, with the Inflation Reduction Act, you know the regulation that they're putting in place to force a lot of automakers, a lot of suppliers to build battery plants in the U.S. I think the ultimate goal for them is really to build up that supply chain and kind of move into the electric car era. Steve, I noticed that you didn't mention anything about Japan or Toyota. Toyota is still the world's biggest automaker. How come they've been so slow in entering the EV race? Yeah, I'm actually really surprised by that because back in the 70s and 80s when we had the oil crisis, uh, you know, they were at the forefront of producing efficient cars that everybody wants to buy, right? They want to dump their pickup trucks. They want to dump their vehicles and then buy Japanese. It really shook up the U.S. market, the it, first such foreign competition of its kind. It really it really did. And I'm just surprised that they haven't come into this market as forcefully as they always had when consumer tastes changed. But, you know, it's not that they don't know how to build an EV. They are very capable. They have the technology to build EV, and they can move fast. Like their hybrid vehicles are like one of the most popular vehicles in the world. And it's all about the strategy that they're taking. And I think what they're doing is they're taking a long, even a longer term view. You know, what's going to happen past, you know, battery electric vehicles? There are still a lot of questions that needs to be answered for battery EVs. If we're going to have so many batteries on the road, are we going to have enough materials? You know, there's those questions. Are we going to have enough lithium to go around to make batteries? Are we going to have enough graphite to go around and make batteries? And then what do you do with all these batteries? I mean, it's potentially an environmental nightmare. So what they're doing is looking beyond that. They're looking into hydrogen. And hydrogen is a 
I mean, I think it's still many years away. There's a lot of technological hurdle that needs to be overcome. And one of that is a safety issue. Like hydrogen is a very combustible material. But I think there's a lot of support from the Japanese government on hydrogen. As many of your listeners probably knows is that Japan is energy starved. They have to import a lot of energy that they consume, you know, natural gas, crude oil. So they, I think what they really want to do in Japan, and, and I think the auto companies are supporting that, is how to make hydrogen work in Japan so they can be energy independent. So it's not that Toyota and the Japanese missed the boat. They're just leapfrogging. They're looking even further I, ahead. I think so. Absolutely right. But uh, I would feel a bit apprehensive about jumping into a hydrogen-powered car myself. <laughs> Let's see where the technology takes us. Steve Mann, China and Europe have been quick to embrace EVs. Drivers in the U.S., they still seem largely committed to gasoline engines. Why do you think that is? Is it that the gasoline engines are so ingrained in the American identity that EVs just seem jarring? I mean, there are songs, mm -hmm. Chevy to the Levy songs about Ford pickups, movies glorifying cars. What's yeah. keeping the U.S. from embracing EVs more enthusiastically? I think there's a combination of things, Tom, and I think you mentioned a big hurdle for many consumers in the U.S. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of consumers out, out in the U.S. that they're gearheads. They still want to hear that roar in a car engine. So it's going to take some time, but I think there's also economics involved. Like I said earlier, supply chain issue. Producing enough EVs for the market was an issue in the last couple of years, especially during COVID. You know, we had supply chain issues, but uh, there is a shortage, right, of batteries, of other EV components to really meet the demand in the U.S. I remember probably a year ago, some friends of mine couldn't get the EVs that they want. They had to go out and find alternatives, and, and the wait time were like six months, 12 months long. That's a really turnoff. You know, if somebody who needs a car, and you know the American culture, right? Public transportation is not as convenient as we're here in Hong Kong. We're actually very spoiled. We have the uh, best subway system in the entire world by some accounts. Exactly. In the U.S., it's a car culture. You need a car to do a lot of things, take the kids to school, go to Home Depot to pick up your home renovation materials. So you can't wait. Sometimes you can't wait six to 12 months for a car. You need it immediately. And then in places like California, where you are what you drive, cars are a status symbol. Yeah, it is. Like if you look at some of the statistics, you know, EVs and hybrids are more popular in, in California. You know, that's another good point, Tom. You know, there is a growing segment of consumer that's very conscious about the environment and uh, that's driving a lot of the policy changes in, in the U.S. government to support more EV production and sale. And a lot of those people are younger drivers. I see anecdotally and read surveys, fewer young drivers in the U.S. are buying cars. Do you see EVs catching on in the U.S. eventually, just riding the generational transition, the demographic wave? Actually, I find the younger generation more open to EVs. And we've definitely seen that in China. Like It's funny, you, you were talking about why is some of the people in the U.S. 
are still gearheads and wants to hear that roar in the engine. It's not like that with the younger generation. You know, somebody who has their first vehicle, if it's an EV, they've never had experience with a gasoline car. If their first car is an EV, a battery EV, they're really used to, right? They're used to the charging. They're used to waiting for the cars to charge up and then drive it away. For someone who has owned multiple vehicles in the past, that paradigm shift is a struggle for them. You know, to jump from a gasoline car where they just go in a gas tank, pump up a full tank of gas in five minutes instead of uh, sitting in a charging station for half an hour just to get to 80%. Okay, we charge. might have to wait for Fast and Furious to come up with an EV special. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, forget about EVs. Do you ever see Americans driving Chinese-made cars? That's a good question. You know, being uh, on this side of the world and been covering the auto industry for the last 15 years, I certainly have seen the huge leap that the Chinese automakers have made in terms of quality. Really, I remember visiting some of the first assembly plants in China where I saw like hammers. People on the line was pounding on cars to, uh, at the end of the line to repair them. Nowadays, if you look at companies like Neil, which builds high-end EVs, those vehicles are very attractive. They have a lot of creature comforts that uh, the consumers are looking for. The quality fit and finish is, is much better. So to answer your question, John, they definitely have the quality and reliability now mm. to go overseas. It's really about are the consumer going to adopt, are the consumer willing to buy? But it's also about their footprint in the markets that they want to go into. Steve Mann, you're the senior automotive analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, but you're an automotive engineer by training. You spent years at General Motors Canada as an engineer and as an industry observer, what stands out big picture about how the global automotive industry has changed over the past 10, 20 years? Think EVs, how quickly they've emerged, how China has changed the competitive landscape. What strikes you most? That's a great question, Tom. I think the auto industry has become a high-tech industry. I remember, like you said, I, when I was an engineer, I don't think a lot of people want to work for the auto industry. It's old economy, old tech. But today, so many interesting things happening, so many new technologies, so much new materials. You know, it's becoming an internet of things. And we talk about EV, but we also talk about autonomous vehicles. So it's pretty exciting, honestly. And I never imagined that the auto industries will become high tech, just like semiconductors are, quantum computing is. So uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of things happening in the auto industry and a lot more to come. We'll have to wait and see. Steve, I wanna ask the question that every listener is waiting for us to ask, what car do you drive? What car do I drive? I, I actually had a, I'm not gonna mention any names, but I, I had a German vehicle, a very reliable vehicle, but uh, it was a different stage of my life. Today, you know, I think uh, I need something that has greater passenger capacity and, uh, uh -huh. and something car. that's reliable. <laughs> so, uh, look, you know, Japanese cars are, are really nice. Japanese cars are very reliable. They're well-built. They're well-designed. 
They're cheap to repair, for sure, and resale values are comparatively higher depending on the model. So uh, if I'm looking for another car, I might actually consider uh, a Japanese car. Well, coming from an industry analyst, as long as you've been one, I'd say that's pretty solid advice. Thanks. Our guest has been Steve Mann, Senior Automotive Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Steve, it's been a great conversation. It's great to hear your insights, and it's an industry that has a lot of exciting times ahead of it. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you, John, for having me. It's been an interesting hour, and there's actually much more to talk about. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. This podcast was edited by Clara Chen, and you've been listening to the Asia-Centric Podcast. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.